Oliver Dixon on SAFM. The Talking Point on SAFM. Weekdays, 9 a.m. till midday. It is six minutes after 11 o'clock and you are listening to the Wednesday edition of The Talking Point. My name is Oliver Dixon. It's the Wednesday edition. That means in the final hour of the show, we speak medical matters. It is the health feature. Today we speak about strokes, a very important conversation. Every 10 minutes, two two South Africans experience a stroke. Every 10 minutes, two South Africans suffer from a stroke. That means in any given hour, 12 South Africans suffer from a stroke. Multiply that by 24, and you'll get an idea of how many South Africans per day suffer from a stroke. It's a number in excess of 250. So more than 250 South Africans experience a stroke every single day. How do we not talk about this often enough? It is a real medical crisis because a stroke is a medical phenomena and a moment in your medical lifespan that changes you for the rest of your life. There's absolutely no way you live the same life after a stroke as you did before. But what causes it? Because when we figure out what causes it, we can try and mitigate that. Right? I hope so. I don't know. If you've recently experienced a stroke, I want you to share your story. Give us a call, 86 If you are living with someone who's living in the aftermath of a stroke, how has it affected their lives, but your life in support of their life? I want you to share that story too. The number is 086-000-2032. Dr. Patty Francis, who's the president of the Neurological Association of South Africa, is with us. Dr. Patty, thank you so much for your time and, and thank you so much for joining us here on The Talking Points. Maybe let me start here. What is the medical definition for a stroke? Thank you for that impassioned introduction. Just listening to you makes me wonder whether you've actually had first-hand experience with a loved one who has had a stroke because it was a very heartfelt introduction. So thank you for that. Um, to answer your question, what is the definition of a stroke? A stroke is a sudden loss of neurological function manifested externally as a sudden loss of a key physical function that is due to a vascular event in the brain. And that vascular event can be either a clot in a significant large enough artery to manifest as a stroke, or it can be, in a lesser proportion of patients, a brain hemorrhage due to rupture or bursting of the blood vessel. So a stroke is both neurological as well as cardiovascular? So cardiovascular is potentially a cause of stroke, but a stroke is a brain event and not a cardiac event. So if it's a cause of stroke, most cardiovascular events, I've come to realize, I'm not a doctor, I may not know this to be true, but most cardiovascular events that are adverse seem to stem out of life and lifestyle habits. 
sometimes hereditary, but more often lifestyle-related. Is that the case with stroke? Yes. It depends on the age of the patient. In patients above the age of 45, it is predominantly lifestyle contributory comorbidities that predispose to all vascular disease, stroke as well as cardiac disease. In patients under the age of 45, there are other additional risk factors besides the lifestyle metabolic risk factors. Other than age, uh, who is most prone to a stroke? So anybody who has hypertension, throughout the world, hypertension is the leading cause of stroke, head and shoulders above all causes of stroke. Then other vascular risk factors like diabetes, elevated cholesterol, a specific cardiac rhythm disturbance termed atrial fibrillation, where for structural reasons, clots form within a certain part of the heart, and those clots can then migrate to the brain and cause strokes in the brain. And um, are there ways in which those things can be mitigated? Yes. Hypertension is controllable with tablets. Diabetes is controllable with tablets. Cholesterol levels are controllable with tablets. So those would be the medical management of these specific high-impact risk factors. Then contributory factors that add to either poor control of hypertension, diabetes, or cholesterol would be the body mass index, which is the weight or the obesity status of the person, as well as smoking, which causes blood vessel damage in and off of itself. And that blood vessel damage caused by smoking is then added to by the hypertension, the atherosclerotic plaques that develop due to cholesterol, etc. There is evidence that excessive alcohol consumption also contributes to stroke and lack of exercise contributes to stroke, a sedentary lifestyle. Mm. So one can treat either by medical management and additionally by one's own lifestyle, such as exercise, such as terminating smoking and either terminating or significantly cutting down on alcohol consumption. Give us a call, 086-000-2032, 086-000-2032. Do you have a question for Dr. Patty Francis, who is the president of the Neurological Association of South Africa? And we're talking about strokes. Uh, Dr. Francis, it seems to me that strokes uh, affect people differently based on, uh, I don't know what factors, but people experience damage to different degrees. Why is that? So what one sees externally on the patient themselves is dependent on which area of the brain is affected by the cutoff of the blood supply. So there are categories of strokes anatomically, and these are categorized as large vessel occlusion or small vessel occlusion, and then there's anterior circulation and posterior circulation. So without being too technical, If, for example, there's a large vessel occlusion affecting the left side of the brain, the person will manifest with an abnormality of their ability to talk as well as some degree of weakness on the right side of their body. If they have occlusion of a blood vessel 
in the posterior part of the brain, they would have some degree of imbalance. They might appear to be drunk. They might be slurring as if they are drunk. So what one sees externally depends on the location of the blood vessel as well as the size of the blood vessel that is impacted. Sometimes when people have brain scans for other reasons, such as headaches or dizziness, one detects small vessel disease where externally those have not manifested, but we can see that there are these mini strokes where the small vessels of the brain are already being damaged, but it has not manifested externally yet. Give us a call, 086 Let's have a listen to some of these questions. Good morning, Oliver. It's Sanele in Devon. I would like to know uh, from the doctor, which are the symptoms of the mild stroke? Because there is a late colleague of mine uh, who just lost speech. I don't know, or the tongue was not moving or what, but he, 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 he struggled to speak. He, he was speaking, but he, he just wake up struggling to eat, to speak. And uh, when he goes to the, to, the, to the hospital, they said they diagnosed him of the mild stroke, which are other symptoms that we, are, we may not aware of that are for the mild stroke. Thank you, Zanele. Thank you for that question. So the symptoms of any stroke is depicted in the acronym, the abbreviation that we would like all people to become familiar with and remember, and that's BEFAST, B-E-F-A-S-T. B stands for balance, E stands for eyesight or eye movements, F for face, A for arm, or leg, and S for speech, and T for time. The hallmark of any stroke, whether it's mild, moderate, or severe, is that it's sudden. If the person is normal last night or today, and the next thing you know, something has changed fairly obviously and fairly dramatically, although it's not severe necessarily at onset. But here was a normal person who was communicating normally with you, and then he was struggling to speak. Sometimes people assume that a speech abnormality is confusion. Never assume that a person is confused. Rather assume that this person is having difficulty communicating because he is having a stroke. That approach will identify and get more stroke survivors or stroke sufferers to help on time rather than finding out three days later that this person wasn't confused at all. He was just struggling to talk because he was experiencing a stroke. So the hallmark is a sudden change in that person's existing level of functioning. And those levels of functioning can involve balance. There's a sudden change in their balance a sudden change in their ability to see or the feel that they are seeing or their eye movements. Their, you know, their eyes might become fixed in one direction of gaze and they can't move it. They appear to be staring in the wrong direction. F is for any facial asymmetry. One side of the face would be obviously drooping or just looking slightly odd. Arm would be drooping or leg would be dragging. 
and any speech abnormality. And the T stands for time. Act fast. You need to act immediately. Time is of the essence. Time is brain, precious time. These are all the buzzwords that we're trying to get across. And it's also important for people to just plug into their brains the time at which they notice this person losing that function. Because when we treat acute strokes, the time of onset to the time of delivery of treatment is very important. I, you mentioned earlier, um, Dr. Francis, that a stroke happens sudden. Um, does that mean it also happens spontaneously? And I ask this because I want to establish whether there are telltales other than the time of onset. So that's to say in the preceding days, are there behavioral changes that we can take note of, maybe fatigue, uh, maybe confusion, those sort of things that can indicate uh, that a stroke might be imminent? So sometimes people say, you know, that 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 person was just tired for the past few days. Um, Tiredness or fatigue per se is not an overall symptom of a stroke. However, it depends on the context. You will recall from the COVID pandemic that many people did experience strokes as a consequence of the COVID virus because it did have some pro-thrombotic features associated with it. And in that context, people with COVID were also fatigued, tired, sickly, miserable, etc. Mm. Similarly, there are other infections such as tuberculosis, such as HIV, where people are generally unwell and then they stroke on top of that infectious process. Another important thing is dehydration. If people have pushed themselves too hard with exercise or uh, they've had heat stroke or whatever and they are significantly dehydrated, that can also predispose to having strokes. So tiredness and fatigue, although it is complained of in some specific cases of stroke, it's not a primary stroke harbinger. Mm. But because the process that is occurring when a person is building up to a stroke is that a clot is occluding an artery. Obviously, when that occlusion is virtually 100%, the full stroke manifests. But in the development of the clot, rumbling over the... Oh, we seem to have lost you there for a second, uh, uh, Dr. Francis. Uh, let's see if we can get you back on a better line. While we do that, let's take a quick break. And that's why you're listening to the health feature. Uh, we lost you there for a second, uh, Dr. Francis. Uh, your line just went a little bit quiet on us. But could you repeat uh, just the tail end of that? Can you tell me up to which point you did hear me? Um, you you were explaining the difference uh, differences in uh, approach um, in in terms of care uh, depending on the severity. So so I explained about specific contexts, for example, where people have a concurrent infection. Yes. So and they might stroke on that, or they may have dehydration, and they might stroke on that. But barring those special circumstances where there are additional predisposing factors that are not the typical stroke features. In the usual development of a stroke, there's a clot forming in a blood vessel. And as that clot um, occludes a greater percentage of that blood vessel, the symptoms worsen. So Mm. any tingle on one limb, any tingle on a half of the face, 
any weakness. Sometimes people just experience a little bit of cramping or clawing of the hand. They shake the hand and it gets a bit better, but it keeps coming back. Anything that's recurring, anything that's reaching a crescendo, something's building up internally. Mm. Those mm. are the minor subtle signs that are informing the individual there's something happening in the main computer that is controlling this limb or this half of me. I need to assume this is a stroke in evolution until proven otherwise. Mm. Give us a call, 086-000-2032. Let's have a listen at some of your voice notes. Hi there, Lunga, Western Cape. Just on the note that you're saying that um, strokes will change the way you live, uh, it's true in a way, but also there's, I think it's called dull palsy, where people have neural events due to stress, one of being, being one of the causes. And for instance, when someone wakes up and their face is in a certain position, you know, it's, it's, a, it's droopy or whatever. Uh, that's also due to the life we live. And in all fairness, I think that people that already are suffering as youngsters having bowel palsy syndromes or events um, speaks to their vulnerability to having a major neural event happen. Anyway, just wanted to give an opinion. Cheers. That, that's an important point, uh, Dr. Francis. Are stress and other psychosocial contributing factors significant in um, igniting a stroke event? Um, before I answer that, can I just comment on Lunga's um, statement that Bell's palsy is caused by stress? Mm, yeah, yeah, sure. Please do. Just, just, I think it's important to set the record straight. Bell's palsy is usually associated with a virus, a herpes virus, and um, it's not a stroke as in due to a vascular problem in an artery of the brain. It is an inflammation of the facial nerve that controls movements of one half of the face. And that inflammation occurs in an area of the skull just behind the ear called a mastoid. And the, the cell bodies of that nerve sit inside that area of the skull and the inflammation occurs there. So there's usually pain at the back of the ear and the droop of the face. And uh, part of the treatment of a Bell's palsy involves antiviral agents plus steroids. And, and I want to make that point because it is a treatable condition. People should go to their doctor if they have that Bell's palsy symptom mm. and um, you know, not just assume that it's got stress and lifestyle. So um, having said that, uh, yes, um, stress and lifestyle do contribute to um, many, many of these uh, diseases of affluence. Stress causes people to have elevations or spikes in their blood pressure. Stress causes people to have higher uh, cortisol levels, higher blood sugar levels. Stress causes people to smoke more. Co stress causes people to drink more. Stress causes people to eat more junk and comfort eat and not necessarily want to exercise. There are some um, bright people who have worked out that Exercise makes them feel better and calms their stress down. Uh, but then you also have the extreme people who take unnecessary supplements and exercise. And there are some fine print when one attends the stroke conferences. 
that there is a lot of research being done on the role of supplements um, and additives in the evolution or development of strokes as well. Give us a call, 086-000-2032. There's a few more questions on our WhatsApp line, Dr. Francis. Let's go to some of them. Sure. Good morning, Mr. Oliver. Good morning to the team and the doctor. Doctor, um, please, can an athlete, someone who is constantly um, exercising, also get stroke? Secondly, can someone who sleep on one side of his or her body regularly, like maybe for for more than a decade, that person has been sleeping on the right-hand side, can such a person also suffer from stroke? Thank you. It's Bramoro in Bloemfontein. Oliver. This... Doc, do you uh, want to respond to that? Yes. Um, excessive exercise without dehydration, without unhealthy supplements, etc., uh, ought not to predispose someone to a stroke. However, as many people know, even um, famous soccer players have collapsed uh, on the soccer field with um, cardiac issues that they didn't know that they had. Mm. So when a fit young adult who one feels, well, he's on top of all his lifestyle factors, you know, he eats right, he doesn't um, smoke, doesn't take alcohol, and lives right, and now he's dropped with a stroke, that's usually due to a structural problem in the heart that the person is unaware of, whether they have a hole in the heart called a PFO, or they have a cardiac arrhythmia. The the scaffolding that we are born with is internal and we're not aware of it until it announces itself in some way. So those are the non-modifiable risk factors, the things that we have no control over, the genes that we were handed. Um, So excess alcohol in and of itself is not a risk unless the person has a predisposition towards it with some structural problem. And then the other question was related to sleeping on one side no if the person has normal mobility they will adjust themselves during the night Um, sometimes it's called a saturday night palsy if a person is drunk and they pass out and they sleep on their arm they then compress some of the nerves of their arm but that's not a stroke that's due to compressing the arm in your you know the, the nerves in the arm itself but normal people, when they sleep, they adjust themselves during their sleep so they don't cause strokes by the side on which they sleep. Yeah. I want to ask you a question on the other side of this about a personal experience of mine. Um, it gives me a fright every time it happens. Uh, sleep paralysis uh, and whether or not there is a relationship there. But let's take a quick break. It is half past 11. Time for your news headlines with Mpositole. And we continue the conversation here on SFM, The Talking Point. You are listening to the health feature. We're talking about strokes. Uh, Dr. Francis, I experience, especially during heightened time of exhaustion, during a heightened time of stress, I experience sleep paralysis. Um, and it's stressful because it, I've never had a stroke, but it feels like what I think a stroke would feel like. Yes, so sleep paralysis is where, as you say, uh, one has zero ability to move one's body and sometimes one has a sense of somebody or something compressing one's chest and one feels one can't exhale and it does feel to the patient that it's lasting for an eternity even though it's very brief and the patient is conscious and aware of everything that is happening to them. Um, Sleep paralysis per se does not predispose to stroke. 
However, there is another sleep condition, uh, obstructive sleep apnea, which is associated with a higher rate of cardiac events and stroke events. Mm. Give us a call, 086-000-2032, 086-000-2032. Let's have a listen to some of your other questions on the WhatsApp line. Morning, Oliver and the doctor. It's to me in Fort Loras. Doctor, in 2018, I suffered a stroke, which was described to me as a PCA infarct. And uh, they also identified it as a hemanopia or is hemanopsia or nopia. I don't I, I don't get the, the term properly. Anyway, what I want to know is it actually affected my eyesight, the left uh, periphery of my eyesight, and my eyesight is um, constantly dark. I can see, but the, the contrast is dark, and I can both eyes can't see to the left. What I want to know is what are the chances of full recovery from such such a condition? Thank you. Doctor? Thank you. Congratulations to the caller on having such a good handle on what he experienced. That's a very nice description. A PCA stroke refers to the posterior cerebral artery and there's one on either side of the brain, and that supplies the visual cortex. So when the visual cortex undergoes death of neurons due to cutoff of blood supply by occlusion of that posterior cerebral artery, as the caller describes, one half of the visual field is lost. And that's due to the way the brain is wired to process visual information from the opposite side of the field. Um, This is the whole purpose of running campaigns like this. Neurons die very rapidly, and in the press release that we issued, we highlighted the point that for every minute that a specific area of the brain is robbed of blood supply, it's estimated that 2 million neurons die. So that number of neurons that's dying per minute is irrecoverable. And because there is a great deal of plasticity or redundancy in the brain, if we can try to restore flow timelessly, one can salvage parts of those eloquent areas that are involved in stroke. However, I think I heard him say his stroke was in 2018. So it's now four years down the line, and it is unlikely that that visual field is going to recover. However, the occupational therapists have good modalities of rehabilitation where they do visual tracking exercises with patients and teach them how to attend to the part of the field that they are neglecting due to that hemianopia. So I'm not sure if he's still seeing an occupational therapist, but at this stage that would be all that would be recommended is for him to contact an occupational therapist who would assist him in that visual rehabilitation. Yeah. Generally, on the aggregate, how how successful are therapies at recovery? Uh, that is to say, how often do people who lose speech, for instance, regain that? How often do people who use uh, mo- you know, motor control over picking up things or just their hands, how often do they regain that uh, in, in, as, as a result of therapy? 
So because speech is dominant in one hemisphere of the brain, if the left hemisphere speech area is involved by a large vessel stroke, those patients and, and, and that stroke is not treated within that four and a half hour window that we are evangelizing about and, and really want people to, to know that if you get to a stroke-ready hospital on time, it is possible to recover some of that, if not all. Um, so, so that is the most important message is time, you know, just act fast. But if the person does not make it within that opportunity window and the stroke is completed and those brain cells die, then it's not possible to recover speech normally. One then relies on alternative methods of communication, whether it's using iPads with specific apps or if they've retained their ability to write. Now with smartphones, people can communicate very effectively just typing a message on their phone, etc. But they don't recover the ability to communicate um, verbally or orally. And unfortunately, if the stroke is large enough and their ability to comprehend what's spoken to them is also impacted, then they have what's called a global aphasia, where they neither understand nor are able to speak. And that is really a remarkable, horrible disability mm. because they just nod and they almost vegetative even though they can move, but mm. they've lost their identity of communication. Mm. Give us a call, 086-000-2032. Sam in the Northern Cape. Good morning. Good morning, Oliver. Uh, good morning to the doctor. Mine is uh, regarding my wife, who I'm very worried for because I suspect when I look at development, she may be at risk of either a stroke or a heart attack. Hypertension sufferer is on medication. She's got these episodes uh, to the doctor there maybe um, she would wake up in the morning and she would be totally off balance and could easily fall or something like that. That's a medication as I've indicated normally in the morning. So this happened yesterday where she could not find her balance. It has happened previously as well, I think within a six month period. So uh, the typical, you know, sort of things I'm trying to speak to her about is for instance, inactivity, uh, not exercising, that sort of uh, relaxed lifestyle, TV most of the time. Um, so in order to prevent, which is something that I do anticipate, because earlier this year, very early in the year, I came to lose a friend under similar circumstances, mm. suffered a massive heart attack, and passed away. So... The doctor could maybe advise they'll listen on the radio as to what is it. I know, of course, you know, issues of diet and so forth. I am actually trying to get it really to do something physical exercise-wise because I think that will definitely assist with the medication. So maybe the doctor can just speak to the issue of this episode that she it's after waking up. Mm. Then she can find her balance mm. normally in the mornings. Yeah. Uh, 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 what could that maybe... Uh, mean and indicate and of yeah. course I mean the risk I've spoken to and I'm trying to get it to become a little bit more active. Thank you very much. Yeah, yeah. thank you so much for your call Sam. Appreciate it. Doc, do you want to yeah. speak to that? So thank you Sam. Um, there are two possibilities. The one is if she gets up and is off balance, so that's a change in her posture. So she's getting up from a horizontal posture 
to a vertical posture and she's off balance, that could mean that her blood pressure is dropping. That's called postural hypotension and people feel off balance and they sometimes fall because there's a sudden change in their blood pressure in going from horizontal to vertical. If there's an associated nausea with that sudden imbalance, it could be a crystal in the middle ear, that middle ear imbalance, which is referred to as vertigo quite commonly. So those are the non-stroke contributors to the symptom you're describing. However, it could be a TIA. TIA is a transient ischemic attack, and basically it means a stroke that's developing but manages to reverse itself is developing and manages to reverse itself. And that is the biggest red flag that says this person might go on to develop a full stroke. Now, when a person is manifesting symptoms like this, one does not resort to the primary prevention modalities that you are encouraging her to do, such as physical activity, lifestyle, etc. One has to seek immediate medical attention to establish, is it a TIA? Is she announcing that she is now at risk for a stroke in the next week? Because there's medical evidence that shows that people with recurrent TIA will stroke within the next 48, 72 hours up to Mm. the week following those symptoms. So this is now a warning sign. She needs to go to medical attention to establish is it TIA, is it postural hypotension, or is it vertigo due to middle ear crystal, which is called BPPV. Thank you so much for your your, uh, uh, call, Sam. Uh, Colin in Cape Town, good morning. Uh, good morning, Oliver. Good morning, Doctor. I think Doctor's answered a bit of a part of my question I was going to ask. Doctor, um, I uh, sometimes, I'm 75 years old. I've been smoking for about 55 years. I have the odd whiskey now and again. And um, I notice I get pins and needles on top of my head. You know? And in the mornings, if I get out of the bed too quickly, I actually, I'm like a drunk person. I lose my balance. But somebody told me to sit down before you get out of bed. And since I've been doing it now, I'm not losing balance. I sit for a while. I don't rush out of bed and just go walk. So uh, what could be the cause of that? You've got pins and needles. But uh, it's not right through the day. It's only like in the morning. And I get no headaches, doctor. But I think I've got a bit of an ear problem. I heard you talk about the ear. Mm. So I hear ringing and zinging in my, in my right ear. And that is uh, my left ear. Sorry, my left ear. I'm looking the other way. And um, on top of the head, as I say, my little ants running around inside my scalp. No, but it doesn't last long. Thank you, Doctor. Can I listen on the radio? Yeah, thank you so much for that, Colin. Really appreciate thank you, it. Oliver. Doc? Bye. Thank you. Um, Firstly, you're either a walking miracle or a ticking time bomb with that 55-year history of smoking. Um, But what you're describing, especially because you've managed to fix it yourself by sitting for a bit before standing up, you're probably describing postural hypotension. Um, However, given your risks, your vascular risks, I would say check it out. You could have an ultrasound of your carotid arteries and uh, establish what your stroke risk is. So I wouldn't just self-diagnose and self-treat by the postural modalities you are 
currently executing, I would go and have your vascular checkup, given that you have this lifelong history of smoking. Mm. Doc, I want to maybe wrap the conversation here by asking this particular question. We've spent talking about strokes and potentially what could happen to patients and, 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 and to risk associated. Can we maybe speak to a, about the people in the lives of those who have suffered from a stroke and their lives change? The support system that we need to build around them when they start living with uh, the conditions brought about as a result of the stroke. What What is perhaps the most important thing to know for somebody who is living with a person that suffered from a stroke? Thank you for that. Thank you for remembering the carer. Caring for the caregiver is a whole other topic in itself. So the person who has a stroke um, loses their ability to earn income, even though people sometimes collect a grant or collect a disability pension. It's certainly not of the amount that they would have received had they continued to be economically viable. So there's an immediate economic shift in that household. Additionally, the person who cares for the stroke sufferer can no longer go out to work. So either somebody from the family stays home to look after the person and takes a cut in their earnings, or they hire somebody. In extended families, they usually will hire some extended family member, but there is finances involved in that as well. Additionally, there's certain things that people with stroke eat or drink because they can't eat normal food. They go onto soft food. They start buying things like Ensure supplements, those sorts of things. They buy nappies for that person. They have to get special mattresses to prevent pressure sores. They have to pay therapists to come and assist the person to rehabilitate at home. So there's a huge economic impact to the immediate family who has the stroke sufferer or the stroke patient in their home. There are some stroke support groups, depending on where one is located, and if one is fortunate enough to be in an area where there is a robust stroke support group, that adds value to the lives of the persons who are now forming this community around the stroke sufferer. Otherwise, it's a lonely path. Fortunately, there are internet-based resources that people can access. So, yeah, there's a lot that goes in caring for a person with a stroke, and If people are looking for resources, there's the Heart and Stroke Foundation of South Africa, which people can find online and see what stroke support services are listed, as well as the Stroke Survivors Foundation of South Africa. Just look those up and see what help you can get from your immediate vicinity. And of course, the hospital and the doctors that have treated the person with the stroke will also give some pamphlets and some additional resources that they can call on. But the biggest impact is economic. Yeah, absolutely. Doc, uh, doctor, thank you so much for your time. Really, really appreciate it. Dr. Patty Francis, the president of the Neurolog- Neurological Association of South Africa. I hope this, con- look, I certainly found this conversation helpful. I hope it was helpful to you as well. That brings us to the end of the show again. Thank you so much for your time. It's been an honor and a privilege being, your, in, being in your company here on The Talking Point.